0: My name is Maddie, I'm an addict. Hi. Hi. there's like more people in here. There was like nobody when I came in. Uh, so when I got the topic in my email and said, "Awareness is key," I was like, "Oh, okay, that's okay." But uh, when I was using, I was aware of stuff, you know, and I was thinking about it. when I was using, I was aware of like who I drugged, who I ripped off. Who I haven't ripped off, who I think I can rip off, uh, who I'm, where I'm gonna get my drugs next, and uh, where I'm gonna get my drugs after that, you know? And that's what like the things I was aware of, or when I was in a house somewhere, I was aware of where the exits were, you know? But I wasn't aware of my behaviors, I wasn't aware of how things that I do affect other people, right? So, The first time I found, like, healthy awareness was when I hit bottom, you know? Like, this time when I really hit bottom and I became aware, like, I'm going to die. Like, I don't know how to explain it. Like, the night before, I had overdosed and was in the hospital and they let me out. And when I left, I left from the hospital and I went right to um, my dealer's place and got some drugs. And I went to a buddy's place and used. And he went to work, and I stayed at his place, and he messaged me, and he's like, there's a big party tonight, there'll be lots of free drugs, and and I knew, and I don't know how to explain it, but I became aware. Like, I knew that if I went to that party that night, I was dead. Like, there was no ifs, ands, or buts. I was going to die that night. And uh, And maybe it happened all the time before, and I never noticed, but... I was sitting there and there was like this commercial came on TV for the other fellowship. And then in Hamilton, Ontario, the uh, PR committee there does public service announcements on the radio. So right after that commercial, there was like a radio announcement for like, if you have a problem with drugs, we can help. Call Narcotics Anonymous. So I was like, okay, I get it. Like, So I called like the detox. And even then I was like, well, maybe I could go to the party. You know, like, if they don't, if they don't have, like, a bed, I'm gonna go to the party. And I became aware at that moment of, like, how insane my thinking is. You know? And I had been in and out of the rooms before, so, like, all the, like, insanity of the disease was going through my head, and I was like, okay, I have a problem. And I'm going to die. So, like, I made a choice to get clean, and that was, like, my first piece of, like, becoming aware, or having any type of awareness. And I like moved to Toronto to get clean. I went to treatment there and I went to the meetings there and I that was like the only piece of awareness I brought with me to Toronto and uh the first meeting I went to because I was still all self-centered and didn't notice my behavior. I heard this speaker or this guy sharing and he's sharing about how he's like 10 years clean and he's super excited for a celebration and I'm sitting there and I'm like there's no way this guy's 10 years clean and like he's not Using, Like, it's not possible. And so I interrupted his sharing, and I was like, so you don't even, like, smoke a little doobie at home, like, after 10 years? Like, there's no way. And the chairperson, this girl, she's like, uh, well, we don't interrupt people when they're speaking. And I was just like, fuck you. And I picked up a chair, and I, like, chucked it across the room, and I stormed out, you know? And... Uh, and uh, no one attacked me or like yelled at me. They all just, as I was like storming out in my histy fit, were like, keep
1: coming back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I did keep coming back. But like, that was my experience. But what I wasn't aware of was like, just after I had celebrated my first year, this girl said she almost didn't come back to a meeting because it was her first meeting. And some crazy guy threw a chair and told everyone off, right? And uh, at that moment, I was like, Okay. I could have made her not find recovery. I could have created the excuse that she used to not come back, so I made the place unsafe. So like in recovery, I found there's many different types of awareness. So like when I was doing step work, I became self-aware, right? Like I became aware that I was powerless, I became aware I have to turn it over, I became aware that I need to trust someone and get a sponsor. So, when I got to step six and I became aware of other defects, of character that I had, which kind of surprised me that I had any, uh, (laughs) when I was becoming aware of them, it was mind-blowing because I also suddenly became aware of everyone else that was acting out on whatever defect I was working on, you know? So if it was dishonesty, I saw dishonesty in like, anyone that was being dishonest, I was like focused on it, I was hyper aware. To it, and I learned that, like, for a little while, I was defocusing on doing my own step work and working on my own behaviors because I was so focused on what you were doing. <laughs> that person's doing this over there, so I switched that awareness of that defect in someone else to looking at it in me, you know. And uh, so I became aware that I too was a liar and a thief and um, a manipulator. Uh, that uh, I could make other people believe things that were not true by adding just a little bit of truth, and I could make myself believe the lies that I was telling other people. Like, uh a crazy piece of awareness, I was writing my step four, and I called my first sponsor, and I was like, uh there's stuff I have resentments for that didn't really happen. Because for years, I told the same story over to manipulate someone into doing something and so the tool for me was to believe that story right so then I had these resentments against people who never actually did anything and I was still in recovery carrying on that that fake lie you know in my step work and I wrote it out and then I was like this isn't this isn't true you know and my sponsor said you know that's actually quite common you know so that was a great piece of awareness that I could also become honest you know And, uh, I had like a, my first experience of like being spiritually aware, um, and my spiritual journey has like changed for me as long, as long as I'm clean, it keeps changing what I believe in, how I believe. But my first one, I like missed the bus, right? On a rainy day in Toronto and the bus driver closed like the door in front of me, right? And he, like, looked at me and smiled and, like, drove off. (laughs) But but in Toronto, there's, like, a bus every five minutes, and this next bus comes. So whatever I was doing that day, I was, like, five minutes behind, right? And I get off the bus, and I'm walking up this big hill to where my house is. And from the bottom of the hill to the top, it takes about five minutes to get there. And two houses down from mine, um, there's this big, giant tree. And it would have taken me about five minutes to get there. And as soon as I get to the bottom of the hill, this giant piece of lightning comes and hits the tree and it falls down and smashes on the road. So if I would have been on that first bus, I would have been standing next to the tree. And like, I was early in recovery then, but that was like the piece that I was like, oh my god, there's something that is looking out for me. Didn't want this tree to fall on me. And it could have just been a coincidence, but for me, that was the piece that made me willing to become aware of a higher power. You know? And, uh, and then I saw God, like, everywhere. Everything that happened, like, was because of God. And, uh, and there's so many different types of awareness in recovery. Like, when I start to become aware of my own character defects and I do some step work and I get into service, right? And when I got into service, I was gonna do everything, right? And I had to become aware that, uh, they have clean time requirements for a reason. Uh, in my early recovery, I joined a committee, had a clean time requirements waived, became ultimate chair of activities, and I'm like six months clean, should never happen. And then our chair went back out. So here I am, six months clean, trying to chair a committee. I don't know how to ask for help. I don't know how to do anything. I don't like myself. I, my ego is really big, so I'm really scared to like say I don't know how to do something you know, and uh my committee fell apart, and uh to get back, I was going to hurt everyone else by hurting myself, so I stole a whole bunch of money from NA from some event we did, and it wasn't about the money, because I had money in my bank account, right, and then I became aware that when I know I'm doing something wrong, it doesn't feel good anymore, like when I was using, I could do something wrong, it didn't faze me, because I was getting high, right, so... My goal was to get high so if I did something wrong, it didn't bother me. In recovery, when I do something wrong and I'm aware that it's wrong, I need to change that or it doesn't sit right, doesn't feel good. And I had, like, locked myself in a room when that happened and it looked like using. And I lived with someone with lots of clean time and I, like, brought the Crock-Pot into my room and I bought I had like a cigarette butts and I had all these water bottles and I was hiding in my room so I didn't have to see him because of the guilt and shame. And I was like peeing in these water bottles to hide from him. And I became aware that like, I don't need to get high for my life to look like using, you know? And it wasn't the drugs that made me live that way. It was my behaviors that was making me live that way. And so I got honest about it. I didn't have to. I could have just taken the money out of my account, put it back in the activities camp, and no one would have known. But uh, talking to the guy I lived with and like reading some stuff in the basic text, I became aware that like that's not being spiritual. That's not being accountable. You know? So I went to area. Well, first I called the area chair. And this is the gift that I got. I called the area chair and I told him that I stole the money and his first thing he said was, are you okay? And I was like, Yeah, I'm fine. He's like, Did you use? I was like, no. He's like, I'm coming to meet you. And I was like, okay, so I go and meet him at Tim Hortons in Toronto, downtown. And I'm like, okay, so I'm ready to go to the police station. And he's like, well, I don't think we need to do that. He's like, are you willing to pay it back? I'm like, yeah, I have the money. He's like, okay. So what I'm concerned about is like, what brought you here? And like, are you gonna use? And I became aware that like When they talk about NNA, that our primary purpose is to carry the message, and the newcomer is the most important person in the room, and that we practice our spiritual principles in all our affairs, he practiced forgiveness and trust that I wasn't going to do it again. And he practiced compassion. And he told me that years ago in Toronto, someone stole money from a convention, a whole bunch. And he went out, and he came back, and he tried to pay it back. And he wasn't given that chance. Instead, he was, like, shunned by the members. And like nine months later, because he couldn't go to any meetings without being shunned, they were all at his funeral, right? And he said, he doesn't want to see that happen to me. And that was like an amazing um, gift and experience I got. So I got aware that like the program really does work and that people really do practice the principles in our program. And like today, when I'm part of home groups or committees and someone steals money and people are like super angry, I'm like, listen, they're an addict, you know? Cause that's what we do. Like, when I was using, I'd steal from my grandmother if I had a chance, you know? So, like, we need to give people a chance to make amends and to change that behavior. And because they allowed me to, like, pay it back, an area owned a piece. They said, you made a decision to, like, take the money, but we let a newcomer take a position that has, like, a certain amount of clean time, and none of us said anything because we were more concerned about filling a spot than someone else's recovery, So like that relies on us. And so it was like a very amazing learning experience for me. And I became aware that like my behavior in the room really does affect any as a whole. Because my first year I did everything wrong and I started sponsoring before I done step work and like uh I met this 18-year-old gay guy who was super hot, and uh, he asked me to be his sponsor, and I thought it was a good idea. And, uh, so I sponsored him, and then uh, things got, like, heated. He, um, he professed his undying love to me, and I was like, oh, I'm so great and wonderful. I can be your sponsor and your partner, but we can't tell anybody.
1: <laughs> well, I was like, you can't
0: hold my hand in public. You can't, like, at a meeting, you have to get, if they break up in groups, you have to go in the other group. You have to sit on the other side. And we did this for a while until, like, the sneakiness and the dishonesty and the manipulation was just, like, fucking using to get what I wanted, you know? And once I became aware of that, I had to end that relationship. And he told me that I was a predator and that NA is filled with people just like me. And he still chooses to refuse to come back to Narcotics Anonymous because of my behavior. And now he made a choice to go out, but I have a piece to play in that I was someone's first experience at NA. It's so the first person that reached out to him, and I was his first sponsor. And I used him so I could get what I wanted, right? And I learned from that today. It's like I'm aware of that behavior. And like, if someone I find attractive asks me to be their sponsor, I say no. And if they ask why, I tell them, well, because I think you're really hot. And if they're like, oh, I'm straight. I'm like, well, that doesn't matter.
1: It's not about
0: you. Like, it's not about you. Like the fact is when I share with a sponsee or I share with a sponsor, it's like barrier free and it's like deep and there's emotions and like Sometimes lines can get crossed, you know? And I don't ever want to do what I did the first time to someone again, you know? And I can't take that back, but the way I can make amends is like a living amends and not to do that behavior again, you know? So I like became aware. And like in Ottawa, people say like if I had superpowers, they'd be like guilt and shame because sometimes like, in Ottawa we have bylaws, you can't smoke in certain areas, right? And a lot of our community centers hold half the meetings in the cities. So when I see newcomers or old timers or whatever smoking where they're not supposed to, I just like play it all out. Like, so you can't smoke here, and they're usually like, oh, I do what I want, da 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 and I'm like, well, because if you smoke here, the people that are working will see that people from NA don't care about their policies and guidelines. So then they'll go back to their boss at their next business meeting and be like, oh, the people at NA do this let 's not rent to them, so if one city of Ottawa location doesn 't rent to us anymore, it means none of them will, which means like something like twenty to thirty meetings in the Ottawa area don 't have anywhere to go anymore, which also means like something like three or four hundred addicts don 't have a place to recover anymore, all because you want to smoke your cigarette where you want to smoke it, so like <laughs> that 's on you, you know, and like guilt and shame is not. <laughs> always a healthy tool, but like I know it's a great motivator for me not to do stuff when I don't want to feel guilt and shame. And so uh, I'll tell people that because my individual behavior really does affect NA as a whole. Like if I'm wearing an NA shirt and I go and I rob a store and there's cameras there and it's on TV and people are like, oh, what's that shirt? And they like Google it or something. They're going to be like, oh, all these people NA are fucking robbers. Like, this is what they are. Because I can be someone's first experience at Narcotics Anonymous. And I don't know that, like, the lady that I meet in an elevator who's never heard of us before, who sees me acting a certain way, has a son who's dying from addiction. And she learns about N.A. and she sees we're a bunch of fools that don't respect anyone. And then someone's like, oh, send your kid to N.A. And she's like, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, I don't know. So when I have, like, an NA logo on, or, an, or I'm at an NA event, I do to the best of my ability, because I'm still human, to act accordingly, you know, and to, like, leave somewhere cleaner than when I got there, you know, to act respectful. It's just like I was on the PR committee in Ottawa, and uh, I ran our, or I chaired our, like, poster day stuff, and I had to, like, come up with a whole new policies and guidelines and when we go places we don't have cigarettes when we go into us to put out posters you know we don't swear we're not telling sex jokes like we act like respectable because we don't want people to have a bad image of narcotics anonymous and they're, where are they going to get that image from me and i know that no member officially represents narcotics anonymous but the reality is is that people are going to associate my behavior with it so i have to be aware of that when I'm doing stuff with NA in service. I have to be aware of that. And one of the great things in service is that I became aware that I can do service without sitting at the head of the table. You know, I can just sit at the side of the table and be a member. I also learned that I can like go to area and not raise my hand. You know, I don't have to give my opinion. You know, it doesn't make me less of a member if I listen instead of speaking, right? And that was a crazy piece of awareness for me. And, uh, when I first moved to Ottawa and I went to area, there was like a member there named Ross. And, uh, I would say something and he's like, oh, uh, my name's Ross and, uh, our, uh, tradition this, step this, and concept this says, uh, we can't do that. And I'd be like, this son of a bitch. And I'd go home and I would open the literature so I could prove him wrong. And I would be like, that guy's
1: right. <laughs>
0: And like, uh, today I became aware that like, people who came before me have knowledge that I need, you know? And before I thought like, well I read the book once so I fucking know everything, you know? <laughs> These people don't know anything because they, they're like been clean for like 15 years, they, they're like detached, you know? They don't know what it's like to still just be in. But today I'm aware that like, the people with clean time are my resource. The people, who came before me and opened meetings so that I can be there, like, I need to have gratitude for these people today. I need to, like, shut up and listen when they're, like, telling me something. You know, just because I want to throw a certain event and they're like, oh, that doesn't work. Oh, you just don't, like, change. Well, no, we threw that event. and It doesn't work, you know? Or we tried that and this was the outcome. And I'm learning today that I need to be aware of where newcomers coming in doing service are at. So when I give them a suggestion like, oh, that doesn't work, and they're like, screw you. Well, I did that when old-timers said that to me and I had to go out and I had to fail, you know? I became aware that my failures made me able to learn from those experiences, right? And that's like what my recovery is based on is, yes, my mistakes, but like what I learned from them, you know? And that's where I get a message to give to other people is like learning from my mistakes. And if I take away that chance for someone else to make a mistake, I'm taking away their chance to learn. So if they learn like I do by doing, like I just stole that experience from them. It doesn't mean if I see someone's going to fail and they're going to get hurt that I don't say anything. But I still allow them to choose to listen to the suggestion or not. And that's what I'm really like This year I'm really struggling with that because I like to like swoop in, you know, and like the one way I can describe it is if I like stood behind someone and straight line is recovery and I like stand behind them and hold them on the line (laughs) and I'm learning that like I can stand beside them while they're walking and when they fall off that line, if they want help to get back on, I can be there to do it. But I'm not God, so I can't stand there and hold them on that line. I can just be a support for them when they falter if they want it. And that's what this year I'm really trying to catch myself when I'm about to go and swoop in. And I'm, like, chairing a Christmas committee for this event we throw in Ottawa every year. There's some people who are making mistakes that I made a few years ago when I was on that committee. And I gave suggestions, and now all I can do is watch. You know? Like, that's all I can do. And as chair, like... If there's a mistake, it's like be there to help them learn from that experience. Not shame them for it, just be there to help them to learn from it and not use all my energy to try and control the situation. Because like the readings said, awareness is not control. You know? And I have to be aware of the way I talk to people. Like I don't sugarcoat things and sometimes that can really turn people off. You know? And, uh, I have to find, I'm aware today that I have to find the balance, right, between being honest and, like, not being brutal. Because, like, a member told me once, like, honesty without compassion is brutality, right? So I'm trying to find that balance. And I'm, I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there, you know? I'm a little less harsh than I used to be, and, uh... And I've become aware of boundaries. Best thing I ever became aware of is is how to set a boundary and, like, stick to it. And that, like, the way that, like, if I set a boundary and I say, it's not okay for you to treat me this way, like, or I use that, like, whole formula, like, I feel when you do, so please don't, you know, like, but I set a boundary. I set a boundary, like, it's not okay when you do this. And you do it. Oh, yeah, that's okay. (laughs) Okay. And then you do it again, but you push a little more, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's okay. Well, I just taught you that, like, my boundaries don't mean anything, you know, and that, like, you don't have to follow them because I'm not going to say anything. So today when people cross my boundaries, I tell them, like, I already told you that's not okay, and you did it again, so going forward, I need you not to do that. And if they do it a couple more times, then I'm like, okay, listen. Like, if you really need help, you can give me a call. But besides that, like, you don't respect my boundaries. And like, today I respect myself, so I'm just not really interested in pursuing a friendship. Like in a meeting in the rooms, uh, in service, I'll say hello, I'll give you a hug, I'll listen when you share. Um, if you call me at home and you're like, I'm going to use, I will talk to you. But I'm not interested in pursuing like a long, deep intimate relationship because you're not interested in respecting me and uh, I've become aware that that's okay and I've become aware that it's okay to say no and I don't have to explain my no it's just no no want to and I don't have to explain it it's so crazy that people keep coming in this room <laughs> <laughs> It was so empty at first. <laughs> Awareness is a gift in recovery. And I would have thought it was when I first got here, but I didn't understand what being aware can do for someone. And uh, I'm aware today that, like, why I hurt people when I hurt people. You know, it's because I hurt and I'm not using my words to express this, not okay to treat me that way. So I act like a child does and I hurt them or someone that has nothing to do with what I'm hurting about. I hurt them, you know. Um, So I'm aware of a higher power. And like, my spiritual journey like had taken me from believing that God hates me no matter how good I am I'm going to hell anyways because I'm gay to like creating my own higher power his name was Bob he sat on the cloud he looked like Buddha and Norm from Cheers on a Super Mario Brother cloud. <laughs> and like that worked for me in early recovery I like great to Bob and it sounded like God so in the meetings I would be like Bob grant me the serenity and it worked for me you know and then somewhere along the way it changed to God and then somewhere along the way it changed to like the universe, you know, like nondescript, like God and like today I would associate more of an atheist and like today my higher power is like science and like, and uh, the big thing I draw on for my higher power is um, the theory of time, right? And like I have no control over time, like I make a decision and that happened. can't go back to change it and I can't go in the future to find out what's going to happen. And like that's where I'm at now on my spiritual journey, and who knows? Like I'm aware that it's constantly changing, and I'm constantly open-minded. And in like five years, I could be like a Buddhist monk somewhere. Because a lot's happened in seven years. I went from thinking God hated me to like being okay with it to being an atheist and accepting other people's spiritual journeys and their beliefs. You know, and that's one of the great things about Narcotics Anonymous. But one of the things I'm really aware of in my own area. And we're trying to find a way to combat it. Is when I go to a meeting, and this is like almost anywhere I've gone in Canada to meet it, everyone looks like me. I go in a meeting, and almost everyone is white. When I look around the room, and I know that addiction is not a white person thing, you know. And I I love that we came out with that pamphlet in uh, in a chuck because there's like a Definitely a problem up there. And now we may have a chance to carry the message. But that means that I'm failing somewhere. That people of different colors or different ethnicities or religions like don't feel comfortable in the rooms that I open. You know, like the meetings that I go to, they don't feel comfortable in part of there. So we're trying to figure out, like, what can I do to change that? Because if I have one or two people of a different culture, feel comfortable in N.A., when someone else comes in that can relate to them, they're going to stay, you know, and like that's something that we're failing at as a fellowship, you know, and I'm aware of that, so once I become aware, it doesn't feel good not to change it, so we're trying to attempt, we're going to be opening a new meeting in Ottawa and we're ordering all this literature in different languages because we have, it's a high immigration area, and many different cultures. So the community center has given us a list of like their main cultures there. So we're gonna make our posters and have pamphlets in different literature. Although we may not speak the language and it'll say the meeting is in English, we can use their language to let them know that it's there and have literature that they can take home with them at no cost to them that they can read and understand. And hopefully that helps. It might not, we'll learn from that experience. But now that we're aware, We're like trying, you know? And that's my biggest piece of being aware. Once I become aware, now I have to do something about it. It was great. Like when they say ignorance is bliss, it's true.
1: You know? (laughs)
0: Because then I don't have to change something. But I'm aware that, when I'm not aware that what I'm doing is hurting other people, I don't have to change anything, right? But once I'm aware, it doesn't feel good. And that's what I remind myself all the time. It's like, why am I not feeling good? What am I aware of? okay. I need to change this. Am I ready to change this? Sometimes I'm not, and I'm going to sit with that yucky feeling for a couple of months or two or three years or until someone who cares about me calls me out my bullshit, right? So, but once I'm aware, now I need to change. And uh, that's what I try to do. So, I don't know how much time I have or how much time I spoke for, but I feel that I'm done. So, if you didn't hear a message from me that helps you, That's okay. Like, keep going to other speakers and other meetings and someone will say something that will resonate for you. Someone will say something that you're able to relate to and like, and take it home. And if you didn't get anything and you feel crappy after I share because it can happen, I've been to meetings where I feel worse after, just talk to someone else before you like, leave the convention today. And uh, thanks for giving me the honor to share. Uh
1: We should give that uh, a little time.